0: Thank you, Jordan, and thank you for being here this afternoon. Appreciate so much your presence. We're going to be looking at the books of First and 2 Timothy in just a minute or two, and the theme of our study this afternoon, Preparing for the Future. And I was asked a couple of weeks ago by James if I would present a lesson that would tie into what the young people are doing with LADS, and I'm happy to do that. And we're appreciative of all of our young people and their involvement in this program and other programs. And there are a lot of good programs and the key is that we prepare them for the future because they are the future of the church, whether we like it or not. We're not going to be here forever. And so as much as we like this life and enjoy living, to understand that there's another generation coming on the scene and we want to make sure that They are ready and able to carry on the work before them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 2, Paul wrote in the long ago to Timothy, his own son in the faith, to commit the things that he had been taught to faithful men that they might be able to teach others also. So that's what we want to do is try to continue encouraging, developing, people for the future, young people especially. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about preparing for the future. I want to call your attention to several verses that I think will amplify our study today. And thank you again for being here this afternoon. Uh, The young men did a great job. The men that I heard did a tremendous job today. I'm sure the young ladies did equally as well. We're very thankful for their work and those who have worked with them. And we're proud of them and we pray that God will bless them richly. So as we think about Timothy, I mentioned a moment ago that he was Paul's son in the faith. So the first thing that I want to call your attention to in our study today is that Timothy was a person of faith. So let me invite you to look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So number one, as we think about Timothy being a person of faith, I think it's important for us to recognize number one, the genesis of his faith. We're talking about three generations of people here Timothy's grandmother, a lady by the name of Lois, his mother named Eunice, and then, as Paul said, that faith that dwelt in him. That was not by accident, was it? But rather, it's my conviction that they laid the groundwork for Timothy to become a great servant of Almighty God. You remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when God through Moses told the children of Israel that they had a responsibility to future generations. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I commend you today shall be in your heart. And then he said in verse 7, And you shall teach them diligently to your children when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the mother and grandmother of Timothy, they understood their responsibility to train this young fella, And I'm grateful to those of you who are here today, parents and grandparents, that have seen the importance of trying to instill in your children's lives a moral compass, to lay a foundation upon which they can build because the fabric of our nation, sadly, is not what it once was. And so we've got to try to reclaim that. Well, how do we do that? By laying a foundation. So number one, I think about the genesis, the origin, the beginning of his faith. But then secondly, let's think for a moment or two about the genuineness His faith. Now, listen again to what Paul said concerning Timothy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that dwelt first, well, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that dwelt first in your grandmother and then in your mother. And then note what he says, and I am persuaded is in you also. Our children, as I said a moment ago, they are the future of this country. They are the future of the church. And so it's incumbent on us to try to lead them to a point where they develop their own faith. Now I understand they're, is a period of time when they're under our tutelage. They're being trained and instructed and guided by us. It might be the case that their faith is connected to us as their parents or grandparents. The goal, however, is for them to stand on their own and to have a rock-solid faith. And so when Paul wrote to Timothy, he talked about that genuine faith that dwelt first in him. Now, I would grant that there are three generations there, but Timothy developed his own faith. and That's what we're trying to do today. We want our young, our young men, our young ladies, our young boys, our young girls, we want them to be people of faith. Now, there's a second thought I want to share with you. Turn over, if you would, and look with me at chapter 3. Again, the same book, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And now, if you would, listen to what Paul says concerning the faith of Timothy. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood. You have known the Holy Scriptures. So I want you to take note of something first and foremost. Note if you would, when Timothy was taught. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, and that from childhood. When do we begin teaching our children? We want to try to teach them at the earliest age possible. We have a cradle row c- class here, three months. And those little fellows, those little girls, they're like sponges, aren't they? We can begin dropping seeds of divine truth in their hearts. Now you remember Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But what we're trying to do is acquaint them with God's will and God's ways. Well, how do we do that? We use God's Word, don't we? Isn't that what Paul said, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. There are a lot of things that our children learn as they progress through life. They learn about things that help them in life, whether it's history, science, arithmetic, English, whatever. And those are important subjects. But the greatest subject matter known to man is the Word of God. When it comes to our children, if they know what our schools are teaching them, but they fail to know what God wants them to know, will they be successful? In the eyes of the world, probably. But the question is not, will they be successful in the world? The question is, will they be successful from a spiritual vantage point? That's what we're concerned about, trying to equip, to train, to mold, to develop. Do you remember the words of Paul in Ephesians 6, verse 4? Paul said, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Luke two fifty two, it was said of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. He increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. That's a well-rounded young person, isn't it? So number one, we think about what he was taught, but then when he was taught. When he was taught, what he was taught. Look again at verse 15. And that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Why is it so important to know what the Bible teaches? Here it is. Listen to him. The Holy Scriptures are able, they have the power to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. When I see these little fellows up here presenting a lesson from the Word of God, or when they stand before us and they read the Word of Almighty God, is that not developing them spiritually? And helping them and pointing them in the direction of heaven? Paul said the Scriptures have the ability to make one wise unto salvation. Is there anything any more important than salvation? On Pentecost Day, when those people cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Was that not a profound question? Was it not? A a provocative question? It was a personal question, wasn't it? From the vantage point, they needed to know. So we're trying to equip our young people so that they might know the will of God and ultimately so that they might one day be with us in heaven. And then listen to what Paul said. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, the Scriptures are God-breathed. Those holy men of God were born along by the Spirit. They spoke not as the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter said. Now note if you would, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Sadly, in our day and time, there are a lot of folks that look at the Word of God from a negative vantage point. And there have been young people that have been schooled to think that the Word of God will hinder them rather than help them. What we're trying to say is, this book, God's Word, is profitable for life, isn't it? You take this book, you try to live by it, you try to develop your life around what the Bible teaches. I can tell you this, you'll be a blessed person. Do you believe that? It'll bless your life. That's what James said. We looked at that this morning. James 1, verse 25. So God's Word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. The Word of God can make you what you ought to be. It can make you a whole person, can it? So, young Timothy He was a person of faith. He was a product of faith. But then Paul said he was to be a pattern of faith. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 now. And look at verse 12. Paul had talked about the importance of godly exercise. And down in verse 11 he said, These things command and teach. Now, note if you would verse 12. Paul said, let no one despise your youth. Don't let people look down on you because you're a young person. You've got a lot to contribute. Timothy was a young man, but he had a lot to offer the kingdom of God. And our young people that are a part of the church here, they have so much to offer, not just today, but in the future, don't they? So here's what Paul said. Timothy, I want you to show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. So number one, I want you to do that in word. That has to do with what you say. One of the most difficult things to learn to control in life is the tongue, isn't it? And oftentimes where we get ourselves in trouble is because we haven't learned to bridle the tongue. And so when we're out in public and we're trying to live a Christian life, or let's just say that we claim to be a child of God, but we fail to exercise control when it comes to the tongue. Does that say something to people around us? Will that impair our influence? Well, the answer would be yes. The tongue is a little member, and as James said, it boasts great things. Tough to keep it in check. So Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to be an example, number one, in word. Number two, I want you to be an example in your walk. That is, how you carry yourself. When people see you in the community, what do they see? When you go to the office or go to work every day and you interact with your fellow employees, it might be that you are an employer. You're the boss. It might be that you're not the employer, but you are the employee. People form an opinion about how you carry yourself, don't they? Are you honest? Trustworthy? reliable? Are you the kind of person that's going to give 110% every single day when you claim to be a child of God? If your walk is inconsistent, do people know it. They pick up on it. Now look at what Paul said. I want you to be an example. I want you to show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. And I want you to do so, number one, in your words. But number two, I want you to do it with regard to your conduct, how you carry yourself. Well, how so? Number one, in love. Love for God, yes. Love for self, without question. But more importantly, and I think... Equally important in some respects is to show love for other members of the human family. Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 13, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples? How? If you love one another. So we demonstrate genuine love. Matter of fact, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. Said, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto genuine love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, note if you would that genuine love. The body of Christ ought to be characterized by people who love one another. If a church is constantly at war and fighting and biting and devouring one another, what does that say, to the world? Tell you what it says to me, why would I want anything to do with those folks? I can get that in the world. So Paul said, I want you to be an example in love and then in spirit. This is the human spirit. Now, we might know the Bible from cover to cover, and we might understand the truth of Almighty God. But what about our attitude in life? how we treat others, how we treat fellow members of the body of Christ. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say he or she has a rotten spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. You carry yourself in such a way so that you reflect the light of Christ in your life. You have the right attitude. The right spirit, per se. And then here's what he says. I want you to be an example in faith. Was Timothy an example in faith? Was he an example of the faith? Yes. Timothy was a man who was guided by the faith. That is, that system of doctrine once for all delivered. But he was a young man of personal faith in the Lord, wasn't he? And then he said, I want you to show the world what it means to be pure in life. We live in a very corrupt world, a nation that has eroded in many respects morally. Well, how do we get that back? I think we've got to get back to impressing upon every single person the importance of following what the Bible teaches to try to develop a character that is above reproach, that we're not soiled and tainted by the world. Rather than being conformed to the world, Paul said we're to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, there is a fourth thing I want to share in closing. Let's look over now to the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, in writing to Timothy, identified him as a person of faith, a product of faith. He was to be a pattern of faith. And then fourthly, he was to be a preacher of the faith. So number one, Paul charges Timothy, and I want you to think about this for a minute or two. When Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he understood my time on planet Earth is very short. He said, the hour, the time of my departure is at hand. He understood that death was coming, imminent. So here's this great apostle Paul, somebody that had been a mentor, a teacher, an example to young Timothy. Paul realizes, look, I'm going to leave this world. When I leave this world, I need somebody to be willing to step up and stand in my shoes and continue preaching and teaching the gospel. I'd like to think that I had another 25, 30, 40 years preaching and teaching. But I understand there will come a point in time when death will intervene. I'm not going to be here forever. So what I like to think about is there are young people, there are other people that are coming on the scene and they'll have the ability to preach and teach. They can fill the shoes of a Jared, a Mike, or whomever. Well, why is that? Because we're talking about the perpetuity of the faith. Wasn't it Jesus that said, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations? So we're trying to teach our young people and so, number one, Paul said, you need to be faithful to the message. Listen to him. I charge you therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom. When the Lord Jesus comes, he will be seated upon the throne of his judgment. As he said, all nations will be gathered before him. He's going to begin to separate them as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And so Judgment Day is coming, and what Paul is saying here is, in light of the certainty of the judgment to come, you need to be preaching the Gospel. You need to make sure that you're preaching the Word of Almighty God. Why? Because only the Gospel will save. Only the Gospel will keep us in a safe condition. So listen to what he said. Timothy, I want you to preach the Word. That means I want you to preach what the Word says and I don't want you to preach anything else. It's true then. It's true today. I have no authority to preach anything other than what the Bible teaches. The authority rests in the Scriptures. But I have the responsibility of making sure that when I preach and teach, people know what the Bible says. Look, if you want to try to share the gospel with somebody, or I think about those who preach and teach. There's nothing wrong with using illustrations and examples and things like that, but the bottom line is we've got to preach the Word, the message. And Paul said, I want you to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And we live in a day and time when people don't like negative preaching, and yet two-thirds of what Paul said there is negative in nature. What's so bad about preaching a message that can sometimes be construed as negative? It warns. Isn't that what David said Psalm 19? That through your testimonies, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Now note if you would. Look at verse 3. Paul said, the time's going to come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound means healthy doctrine, healthy teaching. It's going to come a day and time when people are not going to want to listen to what you have to say based upon the Word of God. Rather than making concessions and compromising and recanting the faith, rather than altering the message so that it might meet the wishes and the will of the people, Paul said, I want you to keep preaching the truth. Listen to him. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. and They'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables to miss. Now, would you say that there are some that have made concessions in the realm of truth? That there are some that have backed away from preaching and teaching the truth because people don't want to hear it? I understand the importance of numbers. Numbers are an index, so to speak, to where we are. I understand the importance of contribution. But I can't alter the word for the sake of numbers. No one can do that. We don't have that right. And there is not an eldership on earth that has the authority to tell a preacher, you can't preach that if it's biblical. Well, why? Because the Bible doesn't authorize it. And I'm grateful that we have elders here that will be support that are supportive of truth, that want the truth preached, and that will stand behind the preaching and teaching of the truth. And then note if you would, he was to be faithful to to the message, but he was to be faithful as a messenger. Look at verse 5. But you be watchful in all things. And then listen to this. Endure afflictions. Now what was it Paul said? I want you to preach the Word. The time's going to come when men are not going to be willing to endure sound doctrine. They're going to be looking for teachers that will gratify what they want, Thought could that possibly bring about some difficult times when you're trying to preach the truth is it possible that there are those who will be on your back and they will try to assert to you you need to get away from preaching that message they'll make life rough on you there'll be a thorn in your side the answer is yes Paul said, I want you to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. It's great when people support you. I'm grateful for people who support the preaching and teaching of truth. But when it's all said and done, we got to preach the truth no matter what. As Haggai said long ago, he said, I am the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. Jonah in Jonah chapter 3 said he was instructed to preach the preaching that God had bidden him. And so, Timothy became a great servant of Almighty God. And I look around, I see all these young people, and I think about, you are the future of the church. And I'm so grateful that you're being taught. What's the goal of a Christian? It's heaven, isn't it? You know, we talk about our children and their faithfulness or lack thereof. We have our children for a very short period of time in life. I know that there are some children they've been taught, right? God's Word has been instilled in them. They've been led by example. They have been educated in the Word of God, and then as they got older in life, they made a decision they don't want anything to do with the Lord and His church. I understand that. But what I fear sometimes is that because we're not what we ought to be, our children will not be what they ought to be. And that's sad. I have seen a lot of kids come through this building. I've seen a lot of young folks that have been a part of our youth group. And I wish I could say that every single young person that has been through our youth group is where they need to be today, but that's not the case. So I'll leave you with this question, why is that? Why? Let's do everything we can to help instill in them a life of faith. Let's support them because they are the future. That's it, plain and simple. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we close every service encouraging people to think about their spiritual life. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, why is that? Why is it you're not a child of God? If you're a young person and you have reached the age of accountability and you understand the cost of discipleship, what's holding you back? I have no doubt your parents want you to obey the gospel. They want you to live a faithful life. Well, what would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried in a watery grave of baptism. In so doing, the Bible tells us you'll enjoy the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. Be faithful till death. The promise is the crown of life, 1 John 2.25. If you're here and your life's not what it ought to be and you want the prayers of the church, Could we pray with you today as we stand and sing?